Hello and welcome back. Welcome back to Diverse Conversations. This is Ashka Patel. Thank you very much for joining me once again on this yet another episode where we are continuing our journey in exploring the Canadian pharmacy innovations landscape. Uh, today, it's with great pleasure uh, that I am here uh, to speak with our guest, none other than Amy Lamb. Amy has been a frontline pharmacist for 10 years, working primarily in the independently owned community and compounding pharmacies, serving roles as pharmacy manager, compounding department head, privacy officer, and clinical consultant. Currently, she's the director of Northern Health for Heritage Health Group Incorporated, which operates a growing network of Saskatchewan pharmacies. Amy provides frontline pharmacy services with one of these pharmacies, Willow Grove Pharmacy Prince Albert, as well as providing clinical care to remote indigenous communities in Saskatchewan. Amy is the owner and lead consultant of Lamb and Sage Personalized Health Solutions a pharmacy practice consulting company that specializes in compounding, standards of practice development, and training for clinical pharmacists in the areas of hormones, traditional medicines, and functional medicine. Amy is a longstanding pharmacy and patient advocate, serving on the several pharmacy advocacy boards. As a Métis woman, Amy has been serving as the co-chair of the newly founded Indigenous Pharmacy Professionals of Canada organization and will become one of the organization's interim CEO in the near future. Amy also volunteers locally and is a chair of the YWCA Prince Albert uh, Board of Directors. So it is with great pleasure that I get to have this conversation with Amy where we'll be breaking down a lot of barriers, um, especially in her experience along with uh, with her extensive experience in serving the Indigenous communities and also the work that she has uh, she is leading at the Indigenous Pharmacy Professionals of Canada. This is a great opportunity for us to explore, um, you know, the health needs, but also what are some of the barriers and challenges that Indigenous population face as they're interacting with their profession, but also for all the Indigenous pharmacy professionals um, who may be facing as they, you know, enter our profession. So it is with great pleasure and a privilege that I welcome Amy to this conversation. All right, so we have Amy joining us today. Thank you, Amy, for making the time to be here with us and have this incredibly important conversation, you know, where we will talk about the innovations that you have already, you know, created, but also there are some innovative work that you're currently engaging in right now. And I would love to hear from that, um, from your thoughts on that as well. But before that, I just want to say thank you so much for making the time uh, around the holidays. We are doing this and I really appreciate that. No problem. Happy to be here, Ashka. Awesome. So Amy, I always start this question off uh, for all my guests, and I would love to hear your professional journey in terms of, you know, how did you get started with pharmacy? And more importantly, how did you carve the path that you're on today? Um, you know, I, I think I entered healthcare because I've always really felt a deep, uh, a deep draw to caring and connecting with patients and Kind of a compassionate person and I like old people and that's you know it seemed seemed like a good fit uh, but uh, ultimately I, I think that the the path that I ended on uh, after being a pharmacist and entering my career was really uh, probably catalyzed uh, by my personal health to start. Um, I always say that it's like I started off my pharmacy career uh, with my chronic illness being at mm. its absolute worst. And I think that's uh, often a factor that lots of pharmacists that are coming into practice are dealing with. Universities, a lot of pressure. I feel terrible for these poor kids that have gone through, you know, the blend of you know, virtual yes. learning and everything that's gone on during the pandemic. 
but that kind of stress and, and sort yes. of the lifestyle is pretty hard on a person. And I have polycystic ovarian syndrome. I've got um, some near-death childhood trauma, some stress syndromes. And I'd always had a little bit of like mental health and sort of the behavioral consequences that come with that. So when I, I entered the profession, I was in pretty rough shape. And of course, I'd seen lots of doctors and got lots of prescriptions and almost a growing laundry list mm -hmm. of diagnoses. Um, and, and you do start to get the impression, even as somebody who's very, um, very trusting in the education that you received, you're like, oh, I feel like you're kind of not, <laughs> kind of not dealing with, dealing with the underlying current here. Uh, yes. And so um, I, I don't know why I was privileged enough to end up on the pathway that I am, but I, uh, you know, I just ended up in a pharmacy eventually that uh, had a very, you know, it was a compounding pharmacy. It was a little bit more uh, maybe natural focused, but it had a hormonal expert and I have a hormonal condition. So you can imagine just how valuable that was. Yes. Um, and it, uh, you know, in getting, you know, sort of uh, a boost in my health in having a better understanding of some of the environmental factors that mm -hmm. impact hormonal stuff, it, it really came down to me recognizing that there is, there is so much more by way of our comprehensive management of health that we could really dive into. And I just saw that pharmacists were obviously the right people to do so. You know, we're kind of in a retail setting. Like yes. before I was a pharmacist, I, you know, worked at a sports store selling skis and stuff. Wow. You know, I, I <laughs> kind of, you know, I kind of get how you build a relationship and yes. how you get to know somebody and you, you learn what matters to them from hearing their story. And so uh, you know, I've I've constantly sought out opportunities, mm -hmm. uh, made sacrifices, took some risks, ultimately, just so that I could continue to practice in that way. And, and I think that ultimately, because I started off at the worst health I could have been, my, my personal and professional development have gone like super duper hand in hand. You know, I, uh, I've sometimes let the professional learnings mm. really catalyze like, oh, this is really what I should be doing to get myself healthier, to get my perception changed or to, you know, find peace or rest or whatever. And then, uh, you know, personally, it's made me realize that, geez, you know, there are some pretty unsafe spaces in yes. pharmacy. Uh, and, and I need to protect myself. Um, mm -hmm. And if I don't necessarily think that I'm being able to share my knowledge or my experience with my patients, then I needed to find other ways to do that too. And so I've been in compounding pharmacies, always kind of leaning towards the independence because I love being able to have a very candid and authentic mm -hmm. conversation with the owner, somebody that takes me on is sort of this staff clinical hormone expert pharmacist to be like, okay, like here's Amy's barriers because I'm a really, really good pharmacist right. until I'm under a ton of stress or I'm in a toxic environment. And then, you know, I just go into survival mode just like everybody else. And yes. I'm, I'm not as sharp, I'm not as nice, <laughs> you know, and so <laughs> I, I really fight for that. And that's where, um, you know, I, I started doing you know, private practice consulting, um, you know, you realize that you need to have a really, really strong foundation yes. to be able to offer something that's of that caliber. So mm -hmm. I did, you know, I did my scholar phase where I um, let 
you know, between PCCA and the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine and eventually the Institute for Functional Medicine, you know, dumped something like 600 accredited hours of just wow. like obsessive <laughs> hormone <laughs> training into me. Uh, and, uh, you know, a little personally motivated, right? Like, it's yes. like I certainly got a good sense of what I needed to do for myself, for my mm-hmm. family, for my community and my patients, of course. And so, um, you know, after that, uh, it was a blend of something that, you know, I could kind of negotiate with employers. I, I didn't open my own consulting group until actually my first maternity leave. I'm just about to go on my second here. <laughs> but I didn't, uh, I didn't open, uh, you know, a, a business about yes. it uh, until I was really operating kind of from a space where I was at home and on my own because... Right. Um, there's always, you know, when you're really truly talking to somebody about comprehensive health strategies, um, for those that have financial limitations, we really focus on what's free and dietary stuff and lifestyle stuff and community supports. And for those who can't afford it and kind of want an easy button and those A-type women that just want to feel better right now and they don't care how much money it's going to cost, there is a really sustainable model behind these kind of comprehensive health things. And so, um, yeah, I wear a lot of hats. You definitely do. (laughs) And and so uh, I, I did get invited to be a part of a group of pharmacies or a network of pharmacies that have been opened in Saskatchewan. Um, and I think, you know, as I progressed in my personal and professional understanding of how to support people's health, I, I really did start to have a little bit of uh, wrestling with the ethics of how do I take what I know and yes. what I know is really helping people and how am I going to make that more broadly accessible, more, mm-hmm. af- more affordable and sustainable and motivating, you know, in the same way that I try to do that on a personal level with my yes. clientele. And so, um, you know, being a part of an operator of a pharmacy network and kind of being honed in on one particular pharmacy, um, you know, when you make a safe workplace, yes. that's how you can help your community. There's one. Uh, Absolutely. And, uh, you know, the other piece was was recognizing that a lot of these uh, foundations of health are already built in to the traditional culture and ancestry that uh, is my own. Uh, yes. And so uh, empowering that back to the communities. And so I actually work as the director of Northern Health for our network. Um, I've done a lot of visitation, um, spending a lot of time in remote Indigenous communities. Mm-hmm. Um, because some of my pharmacy practice consulting is also for pharmacies and I usually, you know, do some compounding consulting or whatever. I, uh, I, I did get a sense of, you know, let's build operating procedures and tasks and tools that help in empowering communities that are struggling and don't have a whole lot of, you know, like health support yes. or health systems and stuff. And so been doing a little bit of that too. Uh, and then uh, ultimately uh, you, you just, Uh, When I'm at the end of, and I'll never be at the end of my personal, you know, personal development, but uh, I do feel like I'm on the other side of Mm. what was illness and and what was, um, you know, that loss and that hopelessness and that disparity that comes with chronic illness and, uh, you know, everything else that comes along with it. And uh, I just want to share that. I kind of want to share that recovery. I just feel so drawn to be a part of communities and a part of doing something really great. And Mm -hmm. I always did um, pharmacy advocacy stuff. I've been on the 
pharmacy association of saskatchewan and the association of compounding pharmacies and i was on capsi all through school and wow. everything but <laughs> um you know it was time to to support communities and so um, i'm on my ywca prince albert i'm the chair of that board and most recently ippc and so now uh, as of the start of december and i know it seems like a really strange time to take on a new job but hey this is the cool thing about indigenous communities is that a woman who's about to give birth to a baby can also be the CEO of uh, the Indigenous Pharmacy Professionals of Canada. So, wow, here we are. <laughs> Truly leading by example yeah. is what I would say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, that's it, it's still a nod to understanding what my perf- like my personal barriers and limitations are is, you know, I'm going to have a baby, but I'd rather be uh, contributing to something that's uh, so meaningful and that uh, organizations kind of captured my heart. And so um, I, I really think that uh, that's how I'm going to spend my time at home instead of scrolling on the internet while I'm, <laughs> while I'm, you know, while I'm caring for a child, but you know, TBD, I also will, we'll see how life, life treats me here. I'm sure I will expect some great work coming out of IPPC. And I do want to discuss a little bit more about that, but maybe we'll, we'll stall that a little bit because uh, you touched on a few things, uh, really great things as you were telling us about your journey. And I'd want to make sure that we take an opportunity to unpack that a little bit first before we kind of jump into the IPPC because I feel like that is a whole different conversation that needs to also happen (laughs) Um, and I do want to spend some time on that as well but when you talk about traditional medicine and um, you know functional medicine and, and and pharmacy and I think you did kind of elaborate a little bit on this when you were talking about it but how do you balance those three different types of medicine and their philosophies mm. as as you're trying to help your patients um because i'm sure like there are some commonalities but then there's also potential differences like how how, how does yeah. that happen totally and it and it becomes very very patient led right. you know ultimately uh and and i always say that it's like the best evidence prescription in the world is pretty useless if the patient refuses to take it That's uh, so i'm pretty non-judgmental i'm you know i i I recognize that sometimes that foundation of trust is what is required to eventually to say to somebody, you know, you really ought to be on Ramipril. There's there's lots that we can do. We can get you on some vitamins and we can help you with the lifestyle and we can talk about food changes and diet changes and we can coach you through those changes so that they're motivating and accessible. But, you know, ultimately it's, it's understanding what a, what a patient has available to them uh and and what is accessible and what is motivating and um you know I, like i said i work with with lots of northern communities right. that have had some some pretty um long standing um you know harsh consequences from forced interventions yes. uh, from not having uh not trusting the person who is making those interventions so mm-hmm. you know it's uh, it's it's listening to their perspective first uh and really truly understanding it and then just kind of guiding them through there and then you just you just triage the evidence and the safety and the preference and it it is a lot you know right. i spend a long time with a person i uh, you know i not only spend an hour with them but we do three months to follow up mm. uh you know just just checking in to be like is that working is it right. both effective like are you tolerating it uh is it just completely impossible and you keep forgetting you know how can I coach you to remember or are you just not doing that because you you don't really want to <laughs> you know and so what can we do instead and it was really empowering to be trained 
um, in functional medicine mm. and in kind of lifestyle medicine and start to understand all of those concepts because I just feel like I have a really big toolkit. Yes. You know, I have a lot of options and I can say to somebody, well, if that doesn't work, you know, I guess we'll try something else. Right. Because it's really, truly about you. It's not me saying you have to do this or you're going to die, you know, and hopefully we really found such a good relationship that by the time a conversation like that has to happen, they go, all right. Okay. Yes. I'm trusting you. (laughs) I'll super duper take that Warfarin because I probably should. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, great. You know, and you know, I've got patients who, you know, they are like strictly natural vegan patients Mm -hmm. who ended up getting, you know, two bare metal stents. And it was just, it was just sort of the way it ended up going and they have to be on Warfarin. And they're like, you know, this person tells me I can't have vegetables, but that's all I eat. So, wow. you know, you really, you know, you really kind of have to get down to it's like, you know, navigating that, you know, it was the first time since probably, you know, internships that I really did, you know, weekly tracking of INRs with somebody and, <laughs> you know, the 10% dose changes at the same time as navigating, um, you know, dietary recommendations, yes. looking at her lifestyle, you know, it was like, uh, recognizing that even, you know, she had to speak at a funeral, she had to do a eulogy and all of a sudden everything went way off the charts because she wow. was under stress and she was eating funny. And, yes. you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a fun challenge. And I, I, I really believe that, you know, I, I may have uh, gone a bit overboard, I think mm. in my own training, and maybe that's because it's like hormones are really weird and they are really complex, but yeah. Um, I think all pharmacists can do this without any additional training. Like we're all researchers, right? Yes. You, you can, you can pretty much go and somebody gives you a question and they give you a diagnosis you've never heard of before. Yes. <laughs> it's like, never heard of that. Okay, cool. And now, but you can look at it and you can look at its antecedents and you can look at, you know, it's, it's got elevations and interleukin six. And what does that mean? And yes. are there complementary or dietary interventions? Like there are dietary interventions that lower interleukin six. Absolutely. So you can say to somebody, Hey, I know, you know, we just kind of want to do a bunch of nice things for your health. And, and ultimately, like I said, it always comes down to these foundations where they're just eating a little cleaner, they're taking yes. a little bit more rest, they're moving, Thanks. they're drinking water. <laughs> and, and, and it's, and it's, and it's good. Exactly. I mean, you have touched on some really, uh, you know, sometimes often forgotten elements of, you know, how we how we provide healthcare, right, which is putting the patient in the center of it and um, having the patient dictate how their care should be provided and, and taking their values and philosophy, but also at the same time building trust. And I think, you know, in the times we live in today, um, we know more than ever before how critical that trust is um, to have some of the toughest conversations yeah. that we as healthcare providers have had to have during the entire course of the pandemic, even to today. So, you know, thank you for sharing that. Um, and I think uh, my next question as I as I observe all this information is, you know, how how did the uptake happen once you started providing these services? Like, you know, what was the patient feedback and patient response like? And you know, what gave you the confidence to then move ahead and say, you know what, let me get more, um, let me focus on this part of practice, because this is something that's a need in the community. And what this is what patients are seeking. So the first patient that I did a a true consultation for, Mm -hmm. um, she came in and she had lichen planus. So that's, you know, it's like autoimmune, weird skin condition. It's like, you look it up and they're like, we don't really know what causes it, but it's going to be these horrible, you know, kind of raised rashes all over somebody. Wow. And, um, 
I just kind of as a as her community pharmacist asked her a couple of prompting questions and she ended up kind of breaking down over the fact that she'd been given, you know, a prescription for 30 grams of cream that was $110 and it wasn't going to be covered. And she was like, this is progressing really quickly. Like this is mm-hmm. systemic and this guy is, you know, I've seen internists, I've seen dermatologists, I've seen endocrinologists, I don't know what's going on, but she'd had like a really horrible, traumatic health incident. So I, you know, all I'd said was like, did something really like significant happen <laughs> you know, leading up to this? And she just goes, yes. And nobody, oh, no. Nobody's asked me about this. And so I, you know, I looked at this as she actually did have some, there were some hormonal changes. There was some stress stuff going mm. on. She had some nutritional insufficiencies and ultimately, like I said, she just said, I need you to, I need you to help me. I need Mm -hmm. you to sit down and do this. And I don't care how much money it costs and I don't care what it is. I just want you to sit down and help me. So I did. And I spent a pretty significant amount of time, certainly not a sustainable amount of time, you know, for what I asked her for, uh, and made some recommendations that I was quite confident in, but were still a really big blend of, of comprehensive health strategies and a little outside of, you know, your conventional pharmacist scope. Right. Uh, and she'd been dealing with this for two years and in two months it was gone. Wow. <laughs> and so, I mean, so that's, that's a little motivating in itself. And then yes. I get a letter from SCPP. So the regulatory body here in Saskatchewan, which always mm-hmm. gives you a little bit of heart palpitations, but, uh, and it was actually just a forwarded letter that she had sent to the college, um, sort of saying that like this person changed my life. Like you need to encourage pharmacists to be this, Mm -hmm. to find time to care for this because it's like this, you know, I saw specialists for two years. I took everything and nothing helped until somebody actually sat down and listened to me. And that was your pharmacist. And so, um, yeah, from that point forward, it's, it's kind of been like that where, um, the people that I see, I was really at first quite confident that I could help them and that I mm-hmm. had the time to help them. I had the time to research um, that I felt competent and confident enough. And mm-hmm. I had mentors that I could reach out to and things like that. But uh, it has just sort of blown up that way. And I don't really do a lot of marketing. I actually do a lot of marketing for other things. But I don't <laughs> do marketing really uh, when it comes to these hormone consultations much because I, the referral rate is high enough. I've got uh, practitioners in town, anybody with a thyroid problem, the doctors are just like, oh, just go see me. I don't wow. <laughs> like, you know, and, and ultimately it's usually because it's more than just a thyroid problem. Yes. And there's also a little bit of um, you know, sort of, I think, an elementary approach to thyroid issues. And so they, I see those folks and I've got referral rates, you know, regarding lots of um, infertility stuff. Mm. You know, it's, it's, it's a pretty neat thing to not be the cause of, but be uh, a part of a journey that somebody ends up having a baby. It's pretty exciting for them. And that's been a challenge. And uh, so it's, it's both motivating, but like I said, it's just a lot of referral and it, and it is, um, it is a privately paid service. Uh, I, I try to add as much value Mm -hmm. to it as, as absolutely possible. Um, But I also have to make it so that the subsequent recommendations, which are not always benefit 
prescriptions, right? Uh, that they can afford those too, yes. right? And yes, um, I, I always reflect on it. It's like I do know there's functional medicine doctors and stuff, and uh, they're wonderful. Yes, but it, it's like it's like two thousand dollars. Oh, it's yes. nuts, right? And and it's because um, there's lots of very uh, very interesting, very detailed privatized testing and diagnostics and things that can be done. Um, I'm a pharmacist, though. I'm not uh, I'm not a diagnostic specialist. Right. Uh, a lot of those tests, I feel, are not totally, you know, some of them mm. are totally validated. Uh, and I also think that in general, you know, sometimes we're just taking this snapshot in time, right? We're not yes. really taking a step back and going, okay, but who cares? You know, what, what are we actually going to learn from this and what's the intended intervention and how does it work? Exactly. And at that point, I'm already, you know, I'm already not going to like this very specialized product. I'm looking at what are things that I can give to somebody that's going to help three areas, mm. you know, what's foundational to their health, what are things that are accessible and like, because ultimately, you know, that referral rate, if somebody goes, yeah, well, I mean, I was, I was totally fixed up, but you know, broke the bank or it's totally inaccessible, then I'm never going to see anybody again. So absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for sharing that because, um, you know, you, you mentioned quite a few interesting points and, and I mean, obviously, you know, I'm sure you have motivated some pharmacists and this is where your extensive training comes into handy, right? Where you become the point of contact, even for practitioners, other practitioners in the community where you're practicing to refer patients to you. Um, But I think uh, the value that you mentioned about, you know, asking patients more probing questions, understanding their journey instead of that little snapshot of when they're presenting to you in the pharmacy. Um, And I think that made that whole difference for that woman who, you know, who you made that impact, that significant impact on where you literally healed her to an extent like you know in two months time frame right and that's no small feat and you know you made pharmacy proud by by being a representative of our profession so thank you very much for that and coming on to that so like you know what is some advice for some for pharmacists or potential owners who may be looking to implement similar personalized services and you know potentially how can you assist them in in terms of that implementation a little bit on that would be great you know i uh in my pharmacy practice consulting, I was introduced to that whole realm by another couple of wonderful mentors in pharmacy and a couple of guys that basically said, if it's not sustainable, uh, it doesn't matter. Yes. <laughs> and, and rightly so, right? Like it's, you know, you, if you are having to help in supporting the function of a pharmacy, if you are trying to keep people employed and keep yes. the lights on and my goodness is pharmacy operations expensive. I mean, those are, it's actually razor thin margins out there these days. And it is sad. Um, So how do you, like, how are we going to do this? Right. And it, and it comes down to those sustainability models. I think it comes down to uh, trial and error and trying to determine what people want. You know, I, I always say it's like, I, uh, I offered free lecture series. So it's like wow. people will pay money to come and see me individually. But if I'm like, let me teach you all about perimenopause or let right. me teach you about PCOS or stress dysfunction, or it's like how people can't have weight loss issues. Right. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. nobody shows up. <laughs> so, like if it's a free lecture, nobody shows up. And so, it, you know, you do have to kind of think about, um, you know, how do you batch things? You know, yes. how do you batch sales and services? How do you, um, how do you look at what your actual existing business models are, mm-hmm. right? You know, mm-hmm. if you're a pharmacy that is doing some compounding, there's always going to be a little bit of that personalization. And you will find that people who are, um, 
looking for specialty knowledge will Mm -hmm. often require specialty products. And so um, pain consultations within a pharmacy, like a compounding pharmacy, amazing. And here in this province, like the workers compensation board and Mm. um, the Saskatchewan, like it's SGI, it's like our, uh, you know, if you get in a car accident and you're injured, they actually cover those usually privately paid pain compounds. And so, you know, you can kind of do consultations that say, let's really, truly help and track your pain. You know, there may be, may or may not be a fee associated with the time that we've developed here. Right. But for sure, that hour that you spent with my pharmacist that costs X amount of dollars is usually made up in the first compounding fee. Right. In addition to, you know, we also talked about like the patient came in and they're like, oh, you know, curcumin. I keep reading mm-hmm. about this curcumin. That's what I want. I want to take it. I want you to tell me if I can. And so it's like, <laughs> you're like okay, so yes, you can. But I've also determined a company where the product is validated, where right. it's externally researched. It actually might be a little bit more expensive that way, but it it for sure is going to have an efficacy that we can trust or or track and we'll right. do follow up. So then, you know, a little bit of batch sales that way. Um, you know, we do uh we do sales of DNA testing. Wow. Uh, there's lifestyle ones, there's pharmacogenetics. And so um often patients that are dealing with uh, like mental health, like mm-hmm. I think if you offered mental health consultations really truly, like hey, let me kind of coach you, let me support you. Um, You know, oftentimes, and we had a physician come into our pharmacy to talk about our antidepressant prescribing Mm -hmm. for major depression. He was just like, I mean, we got to be doing that Yes. DMS for like every 10 (laughs) days, you know? And then it's like, if if they've got no no improvement at all, you got to switch categories. Or if they've got 20, 15% improvement in a couple of weeks, then we got to, you know, crank mm-hmm. the dose, like we've got to really watch these things. And so, you know, if there's uh, an opportunity to do, you know, things that are very targeted, that's kind mm-hmm. of the way to market it. And then you build around, okay, what does that look like for paired sales services, blah, blah, right. blah. Can I give them an immunization while they're here? Does that right. make sense? You know, stuff like that. Fair enough. And I think, um, you know, again, I think it also goes back to what you mentioned earlier on, which was, you know, finding that passion and that inner motive and drive uh, to be associated with that cause so you can truly help your patients see the value, right? If they are actually giving, um, paying for services yeah. out of pocket, um, because it's only when they see the value in something that they will actually uh, be willing to, you know, continually follow you and trust you and the advice that you provide. So, Similar to what you mentioned, like free webinars may not take the uptake that you're looking yeah, for. Yeah, people, people don't like free stuff, really. right? Because it's free, no. it's valuable, but no. again, not seeing the value because uh, yeah. there is no value to be for me to you know be there. And there's been lots of conversations about that, you know, about how exactly. free, is, free is not totally valued, and it's not, uh, you know. Um, I, I think there's there's a piece I missed in in empowering your employees. Yes. I, I know that. Uh, it's like now that I've been involved in sort of the hiring process and building a team and stuff, it's like, I actually intimidate people with questions like, hey, if you want to like take lead on a project or like totally develop something from the ground up, like you just let me know. And they're like, what? I don't, I don't want to do that. 
it's not what <laughs> I'm, I'm used to. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. That's, you know, it's like, that's the kind of offer that I'd be like, oh, good. Because yes. that's exactly what I want, right? But find those people. Yes. Right? Find yes. people. And and also understand, as I'm sure any business owner understands, <laughs> that uh, the first rendition usually fails and the second rendition usually fails. And you just kind of keep tweaking, 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 tweaking until until you get to a space where uh, you've made something that's sustainable. You've got a pharmacist or a clinician that's totally empowered. Um, and, you know, in any way, shape or form that people can encourage and support and, and fund some of the continuing professional development. Yes. Uh, oh, it's, it is a, an investment that I think even, you know, even if your staff don't stay long-term, it is, it just catalyzes the whole profession. You're, you're doing, you're doing a service to your community when you, Absolutely. when you encourage the, the professional growth of your pharmacists. And, and technicians and everybody, right? Agreed, agreed. And it's like it's like the more knowledgeable your team is, the more comfortable they are with the services you yeah. provide. The more uptake will they'll be able to be better able to pitch those services to the right people uh, when the opportunity yeah. arises, right? Instead of if they're not prepared, well, if you're never prepared, you're never going to propose, right? So <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but thank you so much, Amy. And I know, um, you know, um, as I wrap up this conversation around your personalized services, um, I know that uh, you know we will share your link. To in and your social media profiles along with this conversation so if anybody is interested in reaching out to you and you know availing your services and expertise I would encourage you to do so Amy has been um, you know wonderfully innovative I still remember the first conversation I heard uh, that you had provided which was the pharmacy you presentation around this very own you know hormone compounding and and you had really inspired me to you know just even just have a peek at that even though I did not necessarily pursue it it intrigued me and it and you know I, I commend those kind of speakers because it's very hard to find that motivation and that passionate speaker so thank you very much for sharing your knowledge um, through this platform as well because I'm sure somebody might uh, be very interested in pursuing this forward and you might just be the person yeah. they may be reaching out to and you know if I gotta if I gotta make a plug at this time yes go ahead <laughs> I will, but, you know, <laughs> technically my like my company uh offers pharmacy you know consulting packages for compounding right. and stuff like that obviously Napper it was like that was probably the right time to make a make a compounding support program but yes. um I I realized that sometimes these conferences and these conference series and stuff they're not really accessible mm -hmm. Uh, and, and that's where I actually really prefer more of in the same manner that I do my consulting with patients. I like to do that with individual pharmacists. So it's like, if you do have an interest in women's health, or you do have an interest in functional medicine, like I, I do offer training calls where it's like, let's, let's just like talk candidly about this and, mm -hmm. and really kind of empower, you know, like, here's, here's the, the, the nitty gritty of all of my learnings, you know, make sure you've got the consent forms, you know, communications with physicians that are complicated, you know, just that really, um, you know, it's, it's a very pharmacy use style mm. conversation, <laughs> right? Where it's a little bit more instead of saying, here's all the physiology and here's right. all the references and the resources, because you will have to just develop those over time. Right. Uh, it, it's more like, can I give you the big picture and answer the really hard questions for you? first mm -hmm. so that you know what you're getting into you know how to create a path for yourself that's going to be really successful and empowering 
Absolutely, absolutely. And thank you very much for sharing that because, uh, you know, I think uh, the service you provide in through that, I think is also very valuable because the areas that you're an expert in, uh, we not necessarily have very many experts. Um, so if anyone is looking, especially in compounding, because I know it's one of those areas where it requires highly specialized skill set and experience and education, yet at the same time, we may not have a lot bigger network, that big of a net network of experts um, that we can rely yeah. on. Um, so I'm sure and certain that um, you know, your services in that area as well will be very highly sought after. Um, and I hope if anyone's listening, whoever's listening to this conversation, feel free to reach out to Amy if you're in this uh, practice, if you're interested in this practice in any of these areas, or if you have any questions around these areas um, and see how you can, uh, you know, potentially collaborate together. That said, I want to now move our conversation to the second uh, part that uh, you had earlier spoke about, which was uh, your association. And, and now you have taken a role as a CEO at the Indigenous Pharmacy Professionals of Canada organization. Um, I, I was there at the CPHA conference when the when this organization was unveiled and the, uh, you know, the, the first time it was announced, at least to my knowledge. Um, and first of all, I have to commend both you and Jarvis for taking on this incredible work because it's so much needed. Um, um, you know, as somebody who is an immigrant into this country, I may not necessarily um, understand to be able to appreciate um, the challenges and, um, you know, the concerns or even something as simple as the culture and the health philosophies um, of the Indigenous communities that, you know, exist in Canada. Um, and I feel like the work that you will embark on through this organization will help not only pharmacy professionals, but also patients that we serve, um, you know, as healthcare providers. Um, and I guess I just want to hear a little bit more about that in terms of, you know, what does what is the focus of this organization uh, and what is the type of work that you're currently leading um, at this organization? Um, yeah, so it and and again, I'll I'll start off with the the tip of the cap to Dr. Jaris Vidrovich, who is the founder uh, and now the sole chair. We were co-chairs of the organization uh, when it was announced back at the CPHA conference. But um, you know, his his background to this was um, you know desperately seeking that community. Yes. Um, you know, trying to find a, a space where. Uh, his experiences and his ancestry um, could go hand in hand through this profession, and it was it was not available. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it, it had always been sort of this missing piece, and I, I think sort of a a true dream of his to create. Um, and and ultimately, it was in uh, CPHA reaching out and saying, you know, I think we kind of <laughs> we we know we need to go here. Um, it's it's within this mandate, but they did uh, an incredible service. Uh, and, and an incredibly correct thing in yes. um, doing something with Indigenous pharmacy professionals. And so yes. they reached out to an Indigenous pharmacy professional. And uh, to Jairus's credit, he was kind of the only one anyone knew about, which is, yes. you know, <laughs> that poor guy has taken on taken on the, the absolute breadth of uh, educating um, sometimes extremely basic concepts to yes. our pharmacy industry. And so uh, he said to them, you know, if you really want to, if you really want to do something for, you know, Indigenous patients or, you know, indigenizing and creating uh, a pharmacy profession that um, does not have anti-Indigenous racism pervasive within yes. it, then and we need to we need to form this organization and so they've been 
Uh, they've been kind of just helping us honestly with like all the stuff that's really, really awful and annoying. And they're so wonderful in doing our administration and setting up emails and getting us a, you know, a website and bringing us to the conference and allowing us to, uh, to speak there. And uh, CSHP invited us out to um, meetings with them and facilitated the first I hope annual multilateral meeting of pharmacy uh, bodies, which included, wow. we had NAPRA, we had the Canadian Association of Pharmacy Technicians, we had the uh, PEBC board, we had the residency board, we had the Association of Faculty of Pharmacy, CSHP. Uh, you know, it was it was this multilateral meeting, and I hope I didn't miss anybody. But ultimately, you know, we got to sit down all in one room and focus on this one issue, which is that the pharmacy profession realizes that, um, you know, it, it is long past time for them mm-hmm. to do that, but they they want to do it right and not right now. Yes. Uh, and there's a, a really longstanding um sort of statement in Indigenous uh, communities and Indigenous health and initiative initiatives, which is, you know, nothing about us without us, mm-hmm. you know, if, if we could potentially be included in those conversations, I think that that actually does a lot to yes. resolving them. The, the issues. And so community uh, is a big, big piece of that. Um, being able to hear and share the stories of other Indigenous pharmacy professionals, that's pharmacists, pharmacy technicians, and pharmacy assistants <laughs> across Canada. Um, and, you know, we're looking at just kind of empowering their voices, empowering their resources, connecting them with other uh, other advocacy groups across the country. We meet regularly um, in an advisory circle with the Indigenous uh, dentists and physicians and nurses associations, uh, Indigenous Services Canada. Um, and, you know, we're uh, launching a scholarship program, you know, trying to, again, increase that overall representation and then speaking with these pharmacy bodies and saying, okay, now how do we increase representation at leadership tables? Mm-hmm. Or how do we, you know, how do we collaborate on at least the projects that um, matter here? Right. Um, and my big piece, and, and obviously judging from my foundations as, you know, a clinician or wherever, I, you know, I think we got to work on safe workspaces, yes. you know, and I truly believe that in the same way that I discovered that the same type of approach that I was using for people who had extreme amount of privileges and could pay for the optimal best versions of health, that we can still distill those down into foundations for health. And that's what we need to be sharing in safety and healing spaces, um, mm-hmm. not only are are respectful of uh, the needs of Indigenous patients, but also the professionals, and I think everybody. I think we're all yes. going to feel a lot better and a lot safer when we start to look at these more community-based approaches, uh, this comprehensive story-based um, you know, uh, increasing sort of a little bit of access to some of that vulnerability yes. within ourselves and in our communities. And uh, it's, it's been, it's been uh, a organization that has absolutely captured my heart because I, you know, you sit in lots of Zoom meetings these days and then some of them are pretty, you know, they're, they are what they are. Uh, but I, you know, it's, it is such a circle of a family yes. of people uh, and, and it is, uh, that authenticity just uh, emanates through those conversations and there is vulnerability and we 
we are empowered and we are strengthened in hearing each other's stories and each other's visions for health. Yes. Um, and, and we can hold each other up through the challenges because there's, there's lots. Absolutely, absolutely. And thank you so much once again, uh, for to both you and um, Joris, uh, you know, for leading this work, because um, I know there's a lot to be done. Um, and I'm sure there's, uh, just like myself, there's other members of the profession, who may also be interested in kind of, you know, understanding how can we contribute to this work? And what can we do to help yeah. support this mandate, um, or this mission that you are, um, you know, out to achieve, and would love to support you in any way, shape or form we can. And, you know, so if you could share a little bit about that, that would be great to a, sure. for our listeners who are interested in joining this movement yeah uh, you know i i think um you know inviting that diversity inviting any diversity yes. is really important to, <laughs> to any of your tables and any of your podcasts isn't this lovely but uh you know ultimately you know you you need to you need to make sure that that representation is there and sometimes that's hard you know yes. like we even had people say hey we don't even have enough pharmacists trying to be on our board let alone right. how am I going to find an indigenous pharmacist and blah 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 well it's like well maybe maybe it isn't an indigenous pharmacist maybe it has to be a community member but you do uh public at large targeted do need to have have kind of those discussions and i'm always really um i'm always really encouraging of pharmacists to i think look at indigenous health with Mm -hmm. the right lens yes there's lots of really important statistics and i've actually even been caught you know, in a moment where it's like, I'm, I'm expressing the statistics of how, you know, there's 4% of the population of women and care people in Canada are indigenous women, but that's 40% of who's in jail. But the reason why that is, has to be explained over the statistics because the inherent biases behind, oh, well, they're, they're more diabetic and they have more addictions and they have more, uh, more HIV and, and more of these just horrible consequences, it kind of plays into this misunderstanding and this mm. bias. And, and ultimately, the, the language that we need to choose is that it's like, these are incredibly strong people, but they have been horribly systemically harmed. Yes, <laughs> that, unfortunately. And, and that systemic harm is putting a ton of pressure yes. on healthcare. Mm-hmm. And and that's why, you know, often, you know, there's even conversations and I, I actually think that you uh, being a, an immigrant to Canada, I think you at least understand from a biopic status, some of the experiences, right? Like, yes, you may have a you may have a much, much broader perspective than somebody who's been a longstanding Canadian as right. to the challenges that are faced by Indigenous communities. But, you know, ultimately, we just we just really need to start looking at this from a context of um it, it is going to make in making safe spaces for indigenous communities and addressing these inequities. Mm-hmm. We're all better served by it. Cause I truly believe that it's like the indignities faced by our communities walk yes. right through our front door, you know, healthcare Absolutely. providers and teachers and the policemen and every, everybody's experiencing it. Uh, and yeah. so we have to both work from uh, like a health, Healthcare advocacy and as as pharmacists, but um, you know some of the some of the best work that I've done is done to help my my patients, my indigenous patients, is actually volunteering for nonprofit organizations that serve right. vulnerable populations. And I think that that's 
both an experience that pharmacists across, you know, across jurisdictions could mm-hmm. really delve into. Uh, but it actually, it really helps in supporting your, your client base, but it's, Absolutely. it's avoiding those, those stigmas. It's, it's recognizing the greater context of things. It's recognizing the importance, mm-hmm. um, you know, in, uh, in lots of different policies, but certainly health policies in, yes. in sometimes having to focus on what seems like, isn't that just one group of people? Like, you know, like we have lots of crises going on. Why should we be focusing on one group of people? And I, I really do distill it down to, um, I think when we create better systems that address these incredible harms, mm-hmm. um, that we're all going to, I think, you know, we're going to see that all vulnerable people <laughs> are going to do a whole heck of a lot better. And so, um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's look, it's looking around and asking, asking those questions. It's, it's, it's a lot of its awareness and yes. just, you know, an appropriate lens for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. And thank you so much for sharing that because uh, that's, you know, um, I guess I was kind of ignorant about the um, issues that were pertaining, especially to our Indigenous friends here in Canada. And, and, and I was not really aware of like, you know, what exactly was going on, because part of it is also because our educational curriculum, even in pharmacy school, does not necessarily focus a lot. I remember there was one optional class that we wanted to take it on Indigenous health in my entire four years of pharmacy education. And, you know, that doesn't necessarily make it um, enough that you would understand all the different complex yeah. complexities and the history and, and everything else uh, that has kind of taken place to be where we are today, right? Um, and with that in mind, I am always curious and always uh, willing to learn in terms of, you know, any resources that you wish to highlight, which would help expand our understanding or uh, of Indigenous health uh, philosophies, as well as approaches to healthcare. And what is it that we can do as healthcare providers to create those safe spaces that you had mentioned about, you know, in in our own pharmacies or 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 own workplaces even because workplace could be anywhere too but we also need to create those safe places there too you know it's uh it would be distilling it down you know quite a quite a bit but Mm -hmm. you know there are the truth and reconciliation calls to action right Uh, those are actionable items that uh residential school survivors re-traumatize themselves to go over and decide you know this is this is what we're asking of Canadians and there are uh there are some that probably don't apply to all pharmacists or all Mm -hmm. pharmacies or all individuals but it it is worth reviewing and then um Indigenous ways of knowing and, and ultimately what the intention of IPPC will be is to to start integrating that knowledge in a way that is that is safe because again Mm -hmm. sometimes it's 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 the interpretation of it but if I was really to say to someone who is a practicing pharmacist like what's the what's the best thing that you could do for your indigenous patients it's 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 listen it's just listen with without judgment um, and give them the space and time and and actually go through some really uncomfortable situations and some mm. really uncomfortable scenarios because uh, ultimately um, you you might you might go through a moment where someone is going to uh, accuse you of racially profiling them accuse you of of systemically harming them and and ultimately um i've i've had to navigate those myself i'm a fairly white presenting metis woman really well intentioned but you know what sometimes nihb seems pretty racist and sometimes (laughs) you know pharmacy policies seem kind of prejudice and 
you know, we, we just have to literally sit there and sometimes accept it um, and, and allow somebody to express their frustrations. Uh, and then ultimately when somebody's coming in and they're getting prescriptions or they're getting health advice, um, you know, ask them what, you know, what did, what did you go in there for? You know, just do that really a little bit better depth uh, patient care where you're actually hearing about what motivates that mm. person, what their limitations are, right? Um, you know, I, I've got a colleague who uses the example too, where she was just like, you know, you get somebody on the perfect, you know, you could design them the perfect diabetic insulin regimen, and then they tell you they're homeless. So it's like, yes. well, they're going to store it. <laughs> you know, like, have, we, have we asked, have we asked actually the pertinent questions? Or mm-hmm. did we just ask about uh, their drug and disease related factors when, yes. you know, it, it is the true understanding of anybody who's done any study into trauma informed practice and culturally appropriate practice that it's like, it's the environment yes. in which that person and that community is existing. And this is where, you know, it's the, it's the advocacy piece. So before being invited on to be uh, co-chair of IPPC, you know, I was traveling out to remote Indigenous communities and going, Mm -hmm. oh my gosh, this is a nightmare. And it's a nightmare because we've actually got regulations that make Mm -hmm. it a total nightmare. And then there are some just total physical barriers. And and it is truly and honestly incredible health inequity. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're trying to talk to patients and, you know, again, you know, stigmatizing, well, you have a higher risk of diabetes. Well, yes. if I lived in a community that only had a gas station and that was the only thing that was accessible to me for 45 minutes without a vehicle, and I don't have equitable access to employment to get myself a vehicle to go and get some lettuce, exactly. <laughs> I'm probably going to eat a chocolate bar for lunch, you know, exactly. and that's, I, I just, you know, there's been times where I'm like, of course, mm. of course there's diabetes here. And of course it's really difficult to control. And then you factor in how, you know, it, like we all experience that hangry moment after yes. a major stressful incident, right? We do. Well, imagine chronic uh, intergenerational, uh, racial and systemic stressors all day mm. long. Um, and then, you know, Indigenous people are deeply connected to each other. And so there is just lateral experiential going on all the time. Right. You know, there was a, a little boy that was lost in one of the communities that I, I went to. And he was eventually found, uh, you know, he fell into a river. It was horrible. But for months, that entire community was, was in absolute disarray and chaos and grieving. You know, and, and I mean, at that point, managing their medications is, is it's pretty, not a priority, pretty much, an, pretty much an afterthought. It's like put on your muck boots and go help yes. them try and find this kid. Exactly. You know, exactly. there's there's just a there is a greater context to understanding that these are completely different, um, completely different environments, totally systemically imposed mm-hmm. and the lack of control. Uh, is is devastating right. uh, and and we have to we have to find as many ways to empower that as possible so you know bringing out you know I've got a virtual dock in a box bring that out and uh, max max level of that pharmacist led kind of health clinic you know yes. I've been doing that for a long time as much as I can prescribe here I will I'll try and get a hold of your doctor we'll do all of that thing um, you know we're going to try to come up with systems where 
uh, we're providing as much communication to you as possible. Um, mm-hmm. We hired uh, hired in technicians or assistants from the communities that we serve. Ideally, finding somebody that speaks Cree or Dene or what you know, if you're really truly working with the community, yes, then you you should include one of their family members. You Absolutely. know, you know, in- include somebody who can uh, all of a sudden create a pharmacy space that feels a little bit more like home because mm-hmm. now it's safe. Now it's a, now it's a place that they trust, and now it's um, now it's starting to navigate a real true path of being able to to collaborate on healing together. Got it. Thank you very much, Amy, for sharing that because um, you know definitely I think a lot of food for thought and afterthought as well in terms of uh, for an opportunity for us to reflect as individuals um, to see you know how there's a lot of work that needs to be done, and I think um, as many hands as we can have on deck to address a yeah. lot of these inequities. Um, there's never going to be enough hands. And I think uh, we should all play our parts in doing what we can in our capacity in any way, shape or form. Um, and, you know, I'd be happy to help in any way I can to at least help promote this vision, but also, um, you know, and how can I contribute back to this organization to help support this work? That said, um, you know, it's a, uh, a question in terms of being identifying as a Métis woman uh, for yourself, how, how did you find your journey to becoming a pharmacist? And even after you became a pharmacist, were there any barriers or challenges you faced um, uh, in, in in terms of, uh, you know, how you were able to get into pharmacy school or, you know, the challenges you may have faced as you were going through pharmacy school or even as a pharmacist uh, once you started practicing? You know, um, I think I, for lack of a better term, um, like assimilated uh, for a very long time. Mm. And and I have the inherent privileges to be able to do that. And I've had lots of, you know, health consequences that I think are fairly inequitable and Mm trauma-based and blah, blah, blah. But um, it it was not feeling that there was a space for my authenticity, uh, for uh my depths mm. uh that has been that has been really hard i i find that the pharmacy profession is very rigid and it can be um incredibly stifling like i i honest to goodness if i get put in creative roles like i i just start to suffocate because right. it's, there's almost like a fear <laughs> a fear <laughs> of what i'm bringing because it's very uh, I, I, you know, that, that connection and that depth and that authenticity and that vulnerability is so important, uh, to my healing and to mm-hmm. my connectivity with my communities. And, um, I ultimately, if I'm somebody who's in, influenced by my environment, like I said, you know, my professional journey has had to really think about, Ooh, this place feels this place feels a little dangerous. I'm not I'm not feeling really good at the end of the day. And and if I'm not feeling really good at the end of the day, then I haven't shared that with anybody. And mm-hmm. I truly believe that, you know, take away my degree, take away my credentials, my you know, just like honestly give me a whole frontal lobotomy. I give I give some light to some people, you know, I, I've worked in really busy pharmacies where, you know, you're doing no good, right? Like you're just like, (laughs) I'm just, you know, we're just, we're just passing through, but you're on a packaging line. (laughs) If we can just stop for two seconds and just say, Hey, how you doing? And be really warm and really kind to somebody then I've given them uh, a good customer service experience today, you know, and 
it's it's really hard. Uh, I, I find it really hard to mm-hmm. practice that way. And so, um, you know, I, I I ended up having, like I said, I've just I've had a lot of opportunities and a lot of interests. And you know, I don't know. Um, you know, I'm sure most of them are out of privilege mm-hmm. that I've ended up into spaces where I've been able to protect and reserve that that function. But um, you know, it's 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 hard and that's why I always kind of you know I love to be a part of the dispensary world and I love to be a part of teams and I love to be uh included in in this in this whole world and I love pharmacists and I really truly believe in pharmacists and the compassionate incredible professionals they are and they're all so smart and I just uh I just know that I have to kind of do my own thing a lot Mm. of the time you know, I gotta, I gotta kind of, I gotta kind of blaze my own, <laughs> my own trails because uh, everybody's a little scared, <laughs> a little scared of what I bring to the table. Sometimes it's, it's a bit, it's a, it's a bit too, uh, you know, it, it is. It's, I, I'm, I'm asking people to, to grieve with me. Absolutely. You know, sometimes, you know, there's, there's a lot to be grieving for. You know, post pandemic, uh, yes. after the, the findings in residential schools. Um, you know, the, just the changes in our society, the opioid crises and the addictions crises and, and everybody's waning mental health. I mean, yes. there is a huge paradigm shift that has to happen. Uh, and a lot of people would rather just kind of skim along and not, not kind of dig into it. And yes. I, uh, I, I really, I really like to. And so that's, it, it's, it's an important consideration when you bring an Indigenous person into your group mm. and at your at your tables is that they're gonna they're gonna say some really uncomfortable stuff sometimes <laughs> and, and we don't you know it's like I I don't I don't mean to make people uncomfortable but I do I do believe in in sometimes just just asking for a little bit more and challenging yes. uh and and just sort of expressing myself and and the counterbalance to all that grief and fear is the beauty and creation that yes. we can uh, can have from facilitating deeper connections with each other mm-hmm. in this industry and deeper connections with our patients. Absolutely, absolutely. And I can, I could not, um, you know, say it any better than you have. I feel like, yes, there's that discomfort that needs to be initially addressed. And I feel like yeah. uh, we all need to experience that discomfort because, you know, this has been faced by the Indigenous communities for years and generations. Um, and it's for us to even have an iota of understanding of that, that grief and that pain, we need to be discomfort, uncomfortable, um, yeah. because that uncomfort is not even, you know, percentage of what the community has gone through or the communities have gone through. Um, but I think this dialogue is very important. Thank you very much for sharing that, Amy, because, um, you know, the next time I come across an Indigenous uh, person, at least now I know how to have those conversations, right? And um, oftentimes, one thing uh, that sometimes we do not do a good job at is listening. And you mentioned that as, as, you know, to be able to just listen, to give them that space so that they can share their side of the story. And I feel like there's a lot more we can learn uh, by listening rather than kind of trying to fix the problems, um, which this world is so geared to do is, you know, we identify something and we just want to let's, how do I pull this? How do I fit this plug so it does not leak anymore? But it's not about that, right? It's more about, just listen, understand what the person or the community's needs are, and then see how we can work together to address those needs rather than trying to dictate or trying to, you know, 
use solutions that are being used somewhere else, but may not necessarily be the best fit um, to the problem that we're seeing today. Thank you very much, Amy, for that. And, um, you know, with that, I would also like to ask for one advice uh, that younger Amy mm. uh, would have, uh, you know, now that you're reflecting back on your journey and, you know, what was one advice that you would have given yourself, your younger self, uh, when you embarked on this journey to becoming a pharmacist and, uh, you know, I, I think that advice would also resonate with a lot of other pharmacy students, but even for pharmacists who are finding themselves in that uncomfortable space or that unsafe space that you so described aptly in, in terms of, you know, not being able to express their selves, their, their authentic selves. Mm -hmm. um, any advice? <laughs> you know, the one thing I will reflect on afterwards is that uh, I wouldn't change a damn thing. Yes. <laughs> I really wouldn't, uh, mostly because I, you know, the the growth uh, that comes with the hard times and the mistakes and the wrong trajectory before you get, you know, your, your course cited and the fact that you got to keep changing, changing and changing. Yes. Uh, I, I wouldn't change a thing because I, I really truly feel that I am on the other side of something that, um, uh, that, that needed every, every inch of it. Mm. Having said that, um, and, and this is not a, not a harsh judgment of pharmacists, but my goodness, stand up for yourself, people, <laughs> you <laughs> know, <agree>. uh, <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, and, and, um, everywhere, yes. not just in your workplaces. You know, I've, I, uh, both of my parents are business owners. I grew up seeing just the traumas that poor business owners go through. I've now been highly involved in the operations and hiring and finances of a community pharmacy, these razor thin margins. Yes. And, uh, you know, you feel bad for employers. So, I mean, I absolutely do. But, you know, if you feel bad for your employer and they're a good person who's just having to put you through rough circumstances, then you got to go and you got to go the next level up. And then yes. you got to go the next level up and you're going to write your your MLA and you got to go to city hall and you got to present about these things and and you need to you know include some of that professional and personal development for yourself like yes um leadership training is something that's really really um I think a, a core competency uh that we don't have enough of mm -hmm. um you know self-care Yes. is a core competency that we don't have enough of. And if we took the time, you know, even as an industry, or if somebody allowed us, or somehow, you know, made it sustainable for us to have personal and professional development time so that we can become more effective team members, effective leaders, efficient workers, mm. more caring and compassionate professionals so that we can deal with some of those demons that happen when we go back home after a stressful day, as opposed to, uh, you know, just carrying forward resentments and stuff because life and pharmacy is hard yes <laughs> you know it, it, it's gonna be that way but I, I really truly hope that people uh take take a take a nod of of what their own personal journey needs uh and recognize that that personal and professional journey are absolutely conjoined at the hip uh and that uh when one one is struggling the other's going to carry it forward but um ultimately they're both going to advance together um if if you you know if you nurture them both absolutely thank you very much amy that i think that was um Definitely a great piece of advice, uh, a wake up call, if I may say so, uh, because I feel like, you know, we're at that crossroads as a profession where a lot of 
additional responsibilities are coming on uh, mm -hmm. to us as a profession. And I think now is a great time to reconfigure and kind of, you know, see what does our ideal practice look like and then maybe work towards that practice instead of trying to succumb to the pressure that you may be feeling and having those honest conversations, right, in a very respectful uh, way and establishing those conversations, I think, is, is key to making sure that we're able to work with employers that we see a common vision or a goal with. And, you know, I, I commend you to be one of those leaders who actually uh, provide such opportunities to your team members. Um, and I encourage all other employers who are out there listening, you know, be, make sure that you involve your staff, your frontline into those decisions because they are the ones who are directly uh -huh. impacted by them too, right? With that uh -huh. said, I'm going to wrap up this interview without uh, forgetting our last question, which is, you know, how do you see the future of pharmacy in the next five to 10 years? <laughs> uh, like pharmacist-led walk-in clinics of any design. I don't, mm. you know, it's like we saw a whole bunch in the news this week, uh, Loblaws and Shoppers yes. opened a few, and they looked really much like, they look like a clinic. And I was like, yes. honestly, you could, you could do that without building a clinic. You know, you could probably <laughs> just, just run it out of your counseling room. Uh, Absolutely. But either way, awesome. Yes. I, I see that. I see that in, um, you know, some of the paired and, and point of care testing. Like I see there being just this whole evolution there. Mm. Um, I see people um, and this whole paradigm shift, like we had eight pharmacy students at our pharmacy this year. Wow. And, you know, they, they all get, they all kind of get the boundaries thing and the self-care thing. Like it's a whole new generation and they've been like, I'm working half from home. I'm really stressed <laughs> out. You know, it's like, I gotta, I gotta prepare myself. And I've had to look into these things as I'm anxious and not feeling like a normal human being. And yes. uh, I think that health coaching, um, you know, it sometimes feels like it might not be a clinical practice, but I promise you it is, you know, it's, it's, it's the framework that surrounds an incredibly, incredibly satisfying clinical practice. Um, and, and ultimately I, uh, I think that it's, you know, there's, there's something to be said for the development and the initiatives that are going on when it comes to vulnerable communities and mm. vulnerable populations. Um, I see collaborative health clinics that are harm reduction you know we've got yes. fairy harm reduction in in Saskatchewan here so harm reduction clinics that I think that we can bring in those coaching and community things the partnerships with nonprofit organizations and health authorities uh, and pharmacies right mm -hmm. because I mean as part of all of these programming there's dispensables so instead yes. of that being an expense to a program why can't it just be a partnership with a pharmacy exactly um, Medi buses. I've got like a million ideas. I just think, uh, you know, we need to bring, uh, we need to bring compassionate and effective healthcare uh, to the crisis centers. Uh, yes. And we need to make it wrap around and safe and include a meal and a, and a warm place to, you know, warm place to write a resume or something, you know, it's, right. it's all part and parcel. And I think that pharmacists are absolutely poised to make those partnerships. And I see now having operated a pharmacy, just how important that those partnerships could be to the sustainability of our brick and mortar yes. spaces where we do hire and we do employ uh, pharmacy assistants from all walks of life and pharmacy technicians that are absolutely leading the change and, and these incredible compassionate pharmacists that are going to uh, they're gonna, they're gonna fix things, you know, mm. and I, you know, I'm a, I'm a dreamer. Uh, but I, I think honestly, this, this whole health collapse and crisis that is woo, pretty imminent, uh, 
it's it's got to be it's got to be at least something we can we can help with but we have to make some we just have to make a little bit of a shift in in the role there um Absolutely. so you know the the innovation sector the the mechanics you know it's like we got a we got a machine coming you know <laughs> because it's ultimately it is it's going to just pack a whole bunch of stuff but then really truly that's not replacing somebody yes. that's that's replacing totally like mind numbing redundant stuff exactly that that is uh that you know if you can if you can make enough partnerships to invest in it then wow now we can actually go out to whatever community or whatever facility is is getting just packed meds mm-hmm. and we and we get a chance to actually connect with them Absolutely. Well, thank you very much for painting such an optimistic and a bright future for a profession. Uh, similar to you, I can't, I'm like super excited in terms of, you know, where we're heading. And uh, as you rightly mentioned, I think there's a lot of work that needs to be done. Technology is a support and then, you know, in terms of a supportive uh, equipment, but not, it's never going to replace us. And I feel like no. uh, the challenges we have in front of us are way more that meets our human side more than it ever has required. And pharmacists are well equipped uh, to, you know, deliver to that to those needs and and i really look forward to you know the amazing work you'll be leading at ippc uh but also at lamb and sage and also at your current role i i'm really looking forward to all the incredible work that'll be coming out and um you know if there's ever uh anything that i can do feel free to reach out at any point and uh, I encourage our audience to also check out and reach out to Amy in terms of, you know, if you're interested in um, working with IPPC in any way, shape or form while ensuring your time there um, or in any other, uh, if you have any questions for Amy, we'll be linking it down below. So please feel free to reach out through that. And with that, Amy, thank you very much for your time today and these amazing insights. It was a pleasure to have you here. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Take care, my dear. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs>